All right. Well, at this time, kids, I want to dismiss you to Michaela. Thanks for sticking around while she led worship. Uh, we are starting a new series today for those of you that might not have seen that in the bulletin. And it's a new series called This Present Darkness. Uh, we're going to be exploring today a very important passage in Scripture from the book of Ephesians, specifically Ephesians chapter 6. So I invite you at this time to open up to Ephesians chapter 6. For today's message, we'll be specifically within verses. 10 through 12 for this new series called This Present Darkness. And just a little blip of what this series is about. It's about exploring a very important and biblical topic. And that specifically has to do around this present darkness that we face. The realities of not just God and his kingdom, but Satan, demons, the dark age that we also find ourselves in at times, and the battle that is going on. So we are going to be exploring that for today and looking at Ephesians chapter 6 to help us through this. So at this time, I just invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather here on a Sunday. Father, I pray for this time that we explore your word through the book of Ephesians and the Apostle Paul who wrote these words. Lord, we pray that we can understand better for ourselves the war that we are in, the battle that we are in in this coming age from good and evil, your kingdom and Satan's kingdom. And I just pray, Father, that we would understand the tools that you have given us, the words that you have given us, and the strength that we, you have given us through your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray today that you would give us eyes to see the things that you are doing and ears to hear the words that you are speaking into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, well, I don't know about you and your father, but some of you have met my dad, and there's something that is just so true about who my dad is, and that is that he lives to bring terror to the lives of his children. But let me caveat that real quick. Because for those of you that are dads, I'm sure you could probably relate in this. My dad will do just about anything short of sin to be able to get a good laugh or a good scare out of his children, his children's friends, his wife, just anybody that really he comes into contact with. So I grew up living with a hesitation that my dad was going to be hiding in the closet or that my dad would be underneath my bed because sure enough, every now and then, my dad would literally spend 20 minutes hiding underneath the bed and wait for the opportune time to stick his hand out and grab me and hear me just scream out in fear. I don't know if any of your fathers liked playing these kinds of tricks on you, but my dad loved that. Well, there's one particular story that I remember of a time that my father decided to terrorize my sister and I. You see, I was just a young little guy, probably no more than five or six years old, and my dad all of a sudden comes in at the evening while I'm sitting with my sister in her room, and he takes this giant book that he puts put dirt on and, and he must have poured some baby powder onto and all of a sudden he goes 
and he blows it, and it, it seems like dust is carrying into the air, and we're looking at him, and he says, Kevin, Erica, I just was digging in the back, and outside, I found this book, and inside this book, it talks about how children, how if they don't listen to their mother and their father, they get dots that starts to cover their face for the kids that don't listen to their mom and dad. And I'm, you know, looking at my sister in terror, and my sister at this point is wise onto my father and realizes that he's playing another one of his stunts, so she goes, yeah, right, dad. Now, what would you think happens next? You see, my dad was pretty clever, and he knew that if he were to put these dots on our face the following day, that we would put two and two together, that we would realize to ourselves that my dad was just, you know, teeing this up to happen. But my dad was a clever man, and he decided to wait a number of days. I think a whole week went by before one day we wake up, and our normal routine happens, and my sister and I, we head to our bathroom to brush our teeth, and lo and behold, you hear the terror of two little kids going, And we're freaking out as we think that we've been given this deadly disease for kids that don't listen to their mom and dad. Well, the point that I'm trying to make here is that eventually my sister and I and those that love our family have become wise to my father's schemes. And now my dad needs to work much harder to be able to have an effect on us because now we've been trained. We realize his schemes and we're able to sniff them out and do away with them before he's even able to do his schemes to us. Well, today we're going to not be talking about my father's schemes, but rather we're going to be talking about Satan and his schemes and the real-life struggle that we find ourselves in. So in order to do that, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 in God's Word. Ephesians chapter 6, once again, verses 10 through 12. And I'm going to go ahead and read these verses for us, and we'll hopefully understand a little bit better the importance of this text and why it's significant for the church today. So again, Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm go ahead and I'm going to turn there myself. So it says this, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's what? Schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
So if you didn't know, the title of this book is Ephesians. The author of this book was most likely the Apostle Paul. And Paul was at this time, he was most likely writing this book sometime in the 60s AD. It's debated on exactly what year, but let's just say anywhere from 60 to 62. If you didn't know, the Apostle Paul would eventually be martyred in the mid-60s under the kingdom of Nero. But specifically during this time, Paul is in Rome and he's imprisoned there. And he's writing this letter. And the reason why I want to take the time to mention that is because Paul has already had a very fruitful ministry. He's spent a number of years of his life traveling through the world, the known world for him, in order to preach the gospel, to establish churches, to help raise future leaders up. And it's in these last stages of life when Paul, even though he's desiring to continue on his work, is in some ways forced to settle down and settle into his situation of imprisonment. So I think that's important to note because I think what we're going to read here within the book of Ephesians is really a man who is more towards the end of his life offering his wisdom to who? The church of God. So the book of Ephesians is broken up really into two segments with the first few chapters speaking on the beauty of the gospel, how the gospel makes a difference in our lives and how the gospel really established a multicultural, a multi-ethnic kingdom of God. And then in the middle of that division, there's this word that joins the first and the second part of the book, and that's this beautiful word that we see there called therefore, which when you ever see the word therefore, you have to ask why it's therefore, right? And so basically what Paul is doing in the book of Ephesians is he's saying that this is the gospel, therefore this is how you live. And the second portion of Ephesians is in many ways dedicated to how we are to live as God's church, as people that have been taught and given this gospel truth. Now, there's one more thing that is, is fair to say about the book of Ephesians, that the title of the book could perhaps be the book of Laodicea. Uh, in fact, there is debate on whether this book is truly meant for the Ephesians or if it was later on revised to be Ephesians. So Laodicea is also in the region of Turkey like Ephesus is, um, but however, it was a smaller church. The reason why I point this out, though, is because Paul had probably almost a three-year ministry in Ephesus, and if you read the book of Ephesians, it almost seems odd because it, it, it almost seems like he doesn't know the people, but he would most definitely know the people if they were written, or if he was truly writing to Ephesians. But something interesting about pointing out to Laodicea, and I'm doing it for those of you that are in um, the Revelation 
weekly study that's going on in the Douglas's house is you'll notice that once you get to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, one of the, one of the churches is the church in Laodicea. So keep that in mind as you read this book, because this might just be a book that was addressed to that church that's also mentioned both in Colossians and the book of Revelation, singular. <laughs> just in case. I know sometimes we say Revelations, plural. Uh, anyways, so this is that book that is written to the people of God. And uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, is really important because it in some ways shows us a reality that many of us struggle with. In church, I want to be honest with you guys. I've been having this, this series has been on my heart for a number of months. I've felt a desire, strangely enough, or maybe just a prompting to be able to preach on this chapter and these verses. And I've had that feeling for several months now, but I haven't pulled the trigger, so to speak, in being able to preach this series up until a few weeks ago when I said, okay, I think we need to do it. And there's a reason why I struggled with this. And I'm just trying to be honest with you guys. And that is, is that the kingdom of darkness, talking about Satan, talking about demons, it feels very uncomfortable for me. In fact, it makes me feel even somewhat awkward. You see, I have come to realize, and I think it's true for all of us, that scripture sometimes says things that does what? It ruffles our feathers. It makes us feel uncomfortable. There are certain things there that I wish were just maybe even worded a little differently. Because we live in such a time and such a culture that wants to give every single person a pat on the back, a trophy, a ribbon, that any time we're faced with something that is talking about darkness or talking about a struggle or talking about a battle, it could feel uncomfortable. I think many of you have caught on by now that one of my favorite um, Christians who I think is a phenomenal author is C.S. Lewis. For those that might not know who that is, that is the same one that authored the wonderful children's stories, the Chronicles of Narnia, and was a a friend famously to J.R.R. Tolkien, who was uh, the author of Lord of the Rings. Well, C.S. Lewis, he wrote a book that is a, a, a satire of sorts on a, a battle that is going on called the Screw Tape Letters. And in the Screw Tape Letters, if you ever read the book, it talks about a particular demon who is trying to give advice to, uh, to one of um, the lesser demons. I think it's actually a junior demon tempter, his nephew named Wormwood. And he's trying to give him advice on how to trouble this person that he's been assigned to. Now, this book is complete satire, but in it, I think we see a lot of potential truths that could exist when it comes to dealing with temptations and struggles. But what I love is that before this book starts, in the beginning portions of this book, C.S. Lewis writes this down, and I'll read it to you, but listen carefully as I read. 
There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Did you hear that? They themselves, referring to the devils, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So what is C.S. Lewis saying here? He's saying that there's two errors that we oftentimes as Western people fall under with the topic of Satan, demons, and this present darkness. And the first error that I'll put on the screen for you guys is that we overemphasize it. This is what C.S. Lewis calls the magician. It's the individual who sees and, or at least blames the devil behind everything. You know, I remember uh, coming into contact with this kind of belief and personality while growing up in a youth group that, that just, for whatever reason, just saw the devil in everything. I mean, if the car didn't start, it was rebuke the demon behind the battery. If, if something happened in life, I mean, it was just like always the devil that did it. And uh, sometimes I just scratched my head and just said, well, did you put gas in the car, and that usually was the solution in these cases. And you see, overemphasizing the demonic, over-obsessing on the demonic is a bad thing. Hollywood, for instance, loves to do this, and they love to make it seem like the kingdom of darkness is on equal footing as the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. And that just isn't the case. Sometimes we need to realize that some of the bad things that happen in our lives might not be a product of Satan. It could just be our own stinking thinking. It could be the pains or the sins in our lives or the life of somebody else that is acting against us. You see, I think the fruits of overemphasizing the kingdom of darkness, is paranoia. It's a constant worry and a fear of Satan and his kingdom, as if God almost has no power in our lives. And God most certainly does. Some of us know people who fall into this camp. And we see their struggle. We see their paranoia, right? Well, on the other side of things, if that is one side of it, the magician who overemphasizes, then the other side of it is what? Underemphasizing it. Underemphasizing it. And this is what C.S. Lewis calls the materialist, and that's a very strategic word. It's the person who cannot accept an explanation of life if he can't put it under a test tube. If it isn't explained by the laws of science, then it can't be explained as anything else other than the unknown that we haven't figured out yet. So this person makes no room in their life for the devil. But even if you're not a full-on naturalist, even if you're not someone who full-on embraces this ideology of totally rejecting the kingdom of darkness, the reality is, is that many of us as Christians functionally live within this gear of under-emphasizing Satan, 
underemphasizing the kingdom of darkness. It's almost like we read our Bibles in every single reference of Satan, demons, the kingdom of darkness, all these things that try to come against us in life. It's almost like those pages might as well be ripped out because they don't exist in the way that we actually live. Let alone Ephesians chapter 6, which totally confronts us with this spiritual reality. And you see, I think the fruit of someone who underemphasizes Satan and his kingdom is they try to rationalize everything. When they're going through a difficult moment in life, they just try to use logic, which isn't a bad thing. We want to be logical people. God is the one that has given us principles of logic. But instead of using our biblical principles of logic as well to realize that there is a real Satan out there, instead we just ignore that. For whatever reason, we're uncomfortable with that. And to be honest with you, this is probably why I struggled with committing to this series is because we live in a day in an age where it is almost uncomfortable for many of us to even acknowledge this. Why? Because there are so many other people out there that see this type of, un, uh, see this type of uh, belief in a spiritual world as so out there, as so Neanderthal, as so medieval in its thinking that you almost feel awkward even bringing it up because you don't want someone to think down upon you because you have this kooky belief. But you see, if you underemphasize the kingdom of darkness, if you underemphasize the reality that there is a real enemy out there, then you also run the risk of being, uh, of being in a battle and not even fighting in it. And I believe that Paul, in a chapter 6, the, the verses that we've been reading, is trying to make us aware of that so that we can have a healthy approach. So if, we need to be careful with underemphasizing and overemphasizing, and therefore, what do we need to do? We need to have a healthy balance. Something that I'm always reminded of within Scripture, specifically within the, the life of Jesus in the New Testament, is that God talks more about his kingdom than he does Satan's kingdom. Do you hear me there? God talks more about his kingdom than Satan's kingdom. So in some ways, I think our lives should be a reflection of that, right? Where we need to talk about whose kingdom more, God's kingdom more than Satan's kingdom more. It's not that Jesus never mentions it. It's that he talks about the father, his father, more than he talks about the kingdom of darkness. So in some ways, I think our lives need to have that healthy balance where we focus more on the king and we focus more on our Lord than we do the kingdom of darkness. But that is that we also recognize that it exists. Are you following me with that? So know that we are entering into a difficult study that in very many ways ruffles our feathers. But church, 
If we're going to be faithful to God's word, and I believe that as a church we have a moral duty to read God's word wherever it may take us, then we need to confront this in our lives. And I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't teach as best as I could to the whole breadth of what scripture demonstrates and shows us. So Ephesians chapter six starts off by saying, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So Paul begins verse 10 by telling believers to do what? Give me some feedback here. What does Paul tell the believers to do? Be strong in who? In the Lord. Now, the word there for be strong in Greek is indunamo. Indunamo is an interesting phrase. It's used roughly eight times in scriptures, indunamo. And this word, it doesn't just mean be strong. In some of its uses, it actually means to receive strength, to be endued with strength, to be strengthened. And the reason why I'm taking time to hover on this word in dudamo is because it's in relation to what? You see, this is one of those things that I think we could easily miss in scripture, and we need to take the time to witness and and see what scripture is trying to, to to teach us right here. It's saying to indudamo in the Lord, not by the Lord, but in the Lord. So what Paul is trying to say here is that in order for us to be strong, it's almost like it's, it's an interplay, that we become strong through being in the Lord, and that the Lord makes us strong. So it's, it's not that we just puff out our chests and try to beat our, our chest like a drum and take a false posture of strength. You know, have you ever been in a situation like that? I remember when I was a kid and um, I would be home alone and I grew up, I think, still within a time period where you would leave kids home alone and, and, and it probably in today's era, it would, it would be considered far too young to do that. So of course, I would be home alone and because I shared that trauma of my father always scaring me, so what would I do? I would literally get out the BB gun from the closet and I would walk around the house like a little soldier. <laughs> and I would walk around and I'd make sure the BB gun was fully pumped so that if anybody came in, I could handle it. <laughs> And that's what I would do because I was afraid when I was a kid. And you see, there's a sense in there of, yes, me trying to be a brave little squirt in the, fifth, in the midst of being afraid. But there's a reality in there that I'm almost trying to play the part, right? This, this passage is not telling you you need to fake it until you make it. It's not telling you that you need to play the part of someone that is strong, that you need to just go to the gym and, and do these certain kinds of things in order to be strong, but rather it's specifically telling you that your strength that you're endued with comes from who? From the Lord. The commentator Francis Fulkes, hopefully I'm pronouncing his name right, probably doing it wrong there, says this, when life is lived in union with him, referring to God, 
within the orbit of his love, or uh, pardon me, within the orbit of his will and so of his grace, there need not be failure due to powerlessness. So what is, what is Francis trying to say there? Well, he's basically trying to say that when we live with our wills, our wills, our desires, the things that we choose to yield ourselves to, when we give up our will and we yield it to the Lord, then we need to know that we live with God's power. There is no powerlessness for those that live a life yielded to the Lord, amen? So how do we, according to Ephesians chapter six, stand firm against the enemy? Where does it start with? Yielding our lives to God. It starts by realizing that who is the source of our strength, that God is the source of our strength. Unfortunately, um, you know, I, I, I've been to a few churches and I, and I got saved at one that sometimes abused where the source of strength came from. The source of strength almost seemed like it came from whoever yelled the loudest, right? Whoever rebuked Satan the boldest, whoever had their lives in the most order. Now, I'm not saying that having your life in order is a bad thing. Of course, it's a good thing. But in reality, we need to realize that our strength, our ability to stand firm starts where? It starts in God. Now, verse 11 continues in saying, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against who? Against the devil's schemes. Now, there's two important things that come up in verse 11. Specifically, one of the important things is what? The armor of God. And then the second one is this phrase that's used called the devil's schemes. Now, we're going to talk more in week three about what the armor of God is. We're going to talk about the different pieces of that armor that make up the armor of God and how uh, Paul uses that as an analogy for different kinds of things that we need to make sure that we have within our lives. And he's borrowing heavily from Isaiah in order to do that. But we're gonna, you're going to have to wait till week three to get there. But there's this other phrase that, that he specifically is using here. And he specifically uses this word called the devil's schemes. Why is this important? Well, it teaches us, at the very least that the devil is doing what? Scheming. So church, if Paul wants us to put on the armor of God, and if there is truth that the devil is scheming, then we need to realize that there is an enemy out there who makes plans against your life. Jesus even lets us know this much. In John 10.10, 10, and I'll put the scriptures on the screen for you, when he says these words, that the thief, oh, I, I actually think I didn't put that up there, but uh, he'll get it up there for me, hopefully. Well, that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, 
But I have come, referring to Jesus speaking of himself, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So even Jesus in the Gospel of John is letting us know that what is the devil's goals? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. Make no mistake, church, that the devil is a schemer. He is a liar, and his purpose in life is to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the reason why he's a thief is because he wants to rob you of what? The joy that you can have in the Lord. The fulfillment that you can have in the Lord. The sense of forgiveness that you can have in the Lord. You know, I don't know if I'm wrong or if I'm right in doing this. And it's been a while since I've had the privilege of baptizing somebody within our church. But oftentimes when I'm going through baptism material with somebody that wants to get baptized, I often let them know that when you publicly declare yourself as a Christian to the world, don't be surprised if the following week it feels like everything is coming against you. Why? Because when we stand as the people of God, who do we naturally stand in opposition towards? The kingdom of darkness. If we represent the kingdom of light, or the kingdom of God, then we are automatically standing in opposition to Satan. And make no mistake about this, church, that Satan wants to bring you down in life. If you've been living with perpetual discouragement, perpetual fear, perpetual feelings of being a downcast and downtrodden individual, then do you think Satan is happy? Absolutely, because you are living in the exact state of mind that he wants to keep you in. That is not God's plan for your life. God's plan for your life is never to harm you, but it's always to do what from John 10, 10? To give you a life in the full. You know, sometimes we misapply that verse and we, we go on and we veer onto this, this false idea of the prosperity gospel, right? Of, of just wealth and health. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that God does not want you to live as a defeated person, amen? God wants you to live in victory through the same victory that he was able to accomplish on the cross and through the resurrection. So when you're living as an individual that is completely down in the dumps, where even where, where metaphorically speaking, you are completely just low. You're someone that constantly is giving into sin, constantly giving into temptation, always living with a cloud of darkness over your mind and over your habits. Then guess what? Satan in some ways is winning over your life. You know, it is fair to say, and don't get me wrong, that there are plenty of resources out there if you are somebody that is dealing with dark thoughts, to be able to work through those feelings and talk through those feelings through a counselor, a pastor, or somebody that can help aid your mind 
in entering into a healthy place. Not every solution is just rebuking the devil. But realizing for yourself, if this is important, realizing for yourself that maybe you are going through troubles in life because the enemy wants you to go through troubles in life. He wants to bring you down. He does. And we need to be aware of it because that is his goal. And what is our purpose as a church? What is our purpose as a people of God? Well, our purpose, quite simply, is to just bring glory to God. So, of course, the enemy doesn't want to, us to succeed in that because every time we bring glory to God, what happens in the spiritual realm? Well, we're attacking his kingdom. So verse 12, it continues on by saying this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So how does Paul want us to think about the world that we live in? He wants us to think about it like this, which is our big idea for today. And it's that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but the forces of evil. Say this with me again. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but the forces of evil. You see, typically when I come up with a big idea each week for our sermons, I, I try to kind of re-summarize a scriptural truth into a one-line statement so that we can remember it easily. But honestly, I, I felt like I, could, I couldn't touch God's word in the sense that it just said it so well. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. So what does that really mean? That, well, that means that sometimes in life, we end up getting mad at the wrong person. We get mad at what? People. And I'm not saying that sometimes people aren't at fault. But it's like we fail to see that there's a real struggle going on between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. And instead of realizing that we need to be people of prayer, people of hope, people that fight with the right tools given to us by the Lord, we just get angry. We just beat people up with our words or our actions. And we fail to see the real battle that's going on. And I hate to say it, but shame on us. Shame on us for not, for failing to see that reality. Because what we end up doing is we end up just harming other people instead of fighting effectively for the kingdom of God. So how does this work out practically within your own life? Well, if there is a situation that you go through this week and you're starting to feel that sense of, 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 of being attacked in life, I'm not saying that you go up to your boss and you say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Uh, that might not go over too well. <laughs> but maybe, maybe instead of getting mad at that individual, maybe instead what you do is you have a heavenly perspective like Paul is encouraging us to have. And maybe instead you offer a prayer for that individual, not a self-righteous prayer. Lord, thank you so much for just shining your light upon me amidst of all these terrible people that are in dark places. 
I'm not saying that. That's a self-righteous prayer. God doesn't want us to pray like that. But rather saying something to the effect of, Father, I, I, I feel like I'm under attack right now. And right now, I, I, Lord, if, search my heart. If there's sin in my life that you're exposing, help me see it, Father, so that I may repent. But Lord, if this individual, I don't think this individual is, is operating for your kingdom right now. Lord, it, it seems like, like the enemy is using her for his kingdom. And I pray, Lord, for this individual. I ask, Lord, that you would help change this individual's heart. Lord, if, if you could, use me to be that change. Help me, Lord, to, to overcome evil with evil, or evil with good instead of evil with evil. Lord, help me repay her evil with kindness, with good, with your resurrection life. And to not just be a snarky individual who just dishes it just as I'm served. Maybe a prayer like that can make a difference. You know, we live in such a divisive time in our nation's history. And I wonder what our world would look like if the church of God started to think more under those terms. That instead of weaponizing our words, we decided to use our words as the right kind of weapon, not weapons to harm other people, but weapons to liberate, amen? Because here's the truth, is that if you believe in the true resurrection power of Jesus, then as we learned in the beginning of this um, passage that we've been exploring, then God has given you a power that cannot fail. And your purpose here on earth is to bring about his kingdom, to bring glory to him and his name through you. But it starts with understanding that we are in the midst of a battle, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but the forces of evil. And how do we win in that? We stand firm in the Lord. We stand firm in the Lord. You know, if you have young children, especially young boys, um, for anybody that ever says that <laughs> boys are just conditioned to be boys, uh, they didn't grow up with my kid because my kid immediately came out like, I want trucks and I want destruction. <laughs> That's just his disposition. <laughs> I didn't teach him any of that. And uh, my little boy just loves to wrestle. And I remember when I was uh, a kid, I loved to wrestle too. And oftentimes, unless, unless, you're, you're, unless you're just up against somebody that's just way more skilled than you, how do you usually win a wrestling match? It's not because usually you have the best tricks, although those could help. It's because typically you have the best conditioning. It's because you have the ability to do what? To have good endurance. Because oftentimes the first person that tires themselves out loses. In church... I think Paul is encouraging us to be endued with the Lord's power and to stand firm in a way that endures. Because I believe that perseverance is one of the important qualities that we, are, that we need in order to defeat the enemy, amen? Church, we're going to be taking the next four weeks to continue to talk about Satan and his kingdom. And here is some things that I want to put on your radar. Make no mistake that what we're doing right now is very important because we're acknowledging a struggle that exists. 
So don't be surprised if in the next coming weeks you feel the tensions of that struggle coming out in your own life. So I encourage you to use the next four weeks especially as an opportunity to train and to acknowledge that you are standing firm in the Lord, amen? And that even though there might be a, that there might be a battle waging on in this lifetime that is not against flesh and blood, that you stand with and in the Lord. And I believe that if we do that, we will experience greater victory in our own lives. The kind of victory that will hopefully be contagious, that could help bring other people out of darkness and restore people out of a kingdom of darkness back into the kingdom of God, where we all were meant to be all along in the first place. Let's pray. Father, we do pray against the kingdom of darkness. We do rebuke the enemy from the ways that he schemes and attacks our lives. Father, the truth is, is that many of us, we are slow to pick on or slow to observe and to realize his attacks, his schemes, and his ways. And Lord, I pray that you would help teach us and remind in us that the enemy's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy, but that you don't leave us in this fallen state of destruction. But Father, that your role in our lives is to restore, to give us life, and to allow that life to be an abundant life. Father, I pray for anybody here today that if they've been feeling a sense of being attacked by the enemy, Lord, that you would help them right now stand firm in you. And I just pray a blessing upon this series as we take the time for the next uh, following weeks that you would teach us, Lord, how to stand firm in you. We thank you, Lord, that your word gives us the equipment we need to be able to win the battle against evil. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.